The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is happening? Welcome to another On the Corner Mock Draft, as I am Nick Pollock, and we are with Van Burnett of Winds of a Fantasy today as we go over, of course, the pitch with Staff Mock Draft. Van, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Nick. You know, it's been a great long season, and sometimes I get tired of Steve Giswelli's voice, so it's nice <laughs> to change it up a little bit. No, it's it's great. We're, we're excited, man. Man, so you haven't heard uh, Steve's podcast yet. Everyone listening, um, it's been a little bit of a gap between Steve's and this one, but Steve's hasn't gone out yet. I'm recording this one with Van, I think, two days after I talked to Steve, and uh, he said only the nicest things about you, Van. Okay. Yeah, I know. We got some like Christopher Nolan timelines going on here, because I recorded <laughs> with Steve last night, and it was all very cordial, and now I'm like... You know, oh backstabbing God. him in the first what, minute. What is this? No, okay, so so Van, of of course, is uh, one of the co-hosts of uh, Win, Wins Above Fantasy with Steve Giswelli on the Pitchless Podcast Network. But tell us more about yourself, Van. Where can they find you on Twitter? And what are you doing? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Van underscore verified. That account is not verified <laughs> yet, Nick. Um, yeah, Working I'm working on it, okay? Yeah, I'm based in uh, Peoria, Illinois, so I'm right between uh, Cardinals and Cubs Nation, and I lean Cardinals, as you'll hear in the draft picks coming up. But but yeah, Steve and I uh, run Wins Above Fantasy um, in the offseason. We'll be on the main feed, on, on the pitcher list feed, every other Monday. And Wins Above Fantasy is kind of an all-purpose general strategy for fantasy baseball. So where other shows might focus specifically on keeper leagues or – you know, kind of a, a waiver wire specialty. Ours kind of is the, the bishop on the chessboard. We can go talk about rising pitchers or a reliever episode or second half, second half bounce backs, different things like that. And just a lot of flexibility. We get some guests on there. And uh, one segment we do, Nick, which is fun, is the, uh, the TLDR, which, you know, jokes aside on the name too long, didn't read. We're, we're trying to focus on either some tricky metrics and like new analytics out there like csw or Mm -hmm. a a long article and then just kind of simplify it for radio basically and yeah that sounds great rundown so yeah that's some some background on the old waff nation there oh waff nation oh that's so good of course wins above fantasy nation 
Uh, and keep in mind, of course, this isn't just an off-season thing. Uh, for next season, uh, we are expanding a bit as to what we do. We're going to have more uh, to announce with Pitchwell 7 um, in February when that comes out. But, you know, expect, of course, Winds of a Fantasy consistently on the Pitchwell's Fantasy Baseball feed indefinitely. As long as, of course, you'll you'll want to be a part of this van. Uh, so, so we're going to move on, though, to your mock draft, okay? We had this wonderful staff mock draft. If you are just hearing about this for the first time, check out the full draft board in the description of this podcast with a list of all 23 players that Van took in this mock, which was a 12-teamer, Yahoo-style, 5 uh, five by 5 standard, so three outfielders, two utility, uh, no middle infielders or corner infield spots. You have uh, 23 rounds with one, sorry, with two different Otanis. Very important that we distinguish that. With the mentality of head-to-head, I don't really go out of my way to say Roto or head-to-head. There are some small strategies involved. But for the most part, this draft should come with you know both being applicable. Say for some strategies with head-to-head, you can punt a little bit easier or you can sneak in a week of, of steals in that way. But, uh, but Van, you have the number one pick in this draft. And there's been a lot of discussion about this. Uh, I think in NFBC, you won't be getting, you know, you won't be targeting Vlad Jr. with your number one pick, likely because of the necessity of steals. But this is a 12-teamer, head-to-head focus. You don't necessarily need to do that. So, Van, you decided to go 1-1. It was this, A, your, 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 your goal to grab the 1-1 spot and get Vlad. And B, I mean, you got to talk to me. Why is it Vlad more than Acuna or Tatis or Turner or anyone else? Yeah, so great questions. I did not target the first pick as a a preferred slot. Knowing we're in October, I've been following the players, but this was more me saying, like, let's try it. Let's see where it's at. Still taking this seriously, but just exploring it. And in terms of Vlad... I mean, we just saw him be the, the number one overall Rasball player Raider, even without the speed. So for Vlad, I, I know you guys, uh, you name your tiers with uh, with Alex. I always get a kick out of that. My, my name for this pick is there's no looking back because on one side, I think what we just saw from Vlad is who he is. I, I expect kind of a, a Pujolsian run from here on in with the high average, the power, and you can just count on amazing counting stats. But the other part of there's no looking back is that I think you're also not going to be looking back and regretting this pick. Whereas that is my main reason with that safety, which I know sounds weird because you know, the track record of him just breaking out this year, but I I have concerns with Tatis on the injury. I I have concerns with Acuna on how much we'll see him coming off the ACL. Um, And, you know, with, with Soto, this isn't really the preferred format of, you know, like a OPS league where he really plays up. So Vlad coming off a year where his stat cast page is, is basically Tatis minus the speed. Um, but his, you know, his K rate is 82nd percentile. Tatis is his 13th percentile. So I don't expect the same peaks and valleys or cold stretches even side by side. And then it's just really the rest of the draft, I need to find where I'm going to grab my speed. Uh, So that's kind of my mindset on it, but I I don't regret it too much. I know that, you know, it starts you out in a bit of a rut with speed, but I think the plus he gives you on average counting stats and power is worth that trade-off. And you're really not getting the risk you're getting with any of those other guys. Yeah. I mean, in the middle of that Jays lineup too, you're going to have that, those runs in RBI also at, at the highest potential. Uh, for Vlad Jr., um, yeah, you said it best. It's really, uh, for me, I 
tend to say, look, I don't want to have to think about speed at all in my drafts. Um, and by taking Vlad, not only are you not getting one in the first round, but you're essentially not getting one in the second round either because it's your first overall pick and the main speed guys are off the board for the most part. We'll talk about your third round pick later on. Um, the last question I have for you is, do you have a very specific draft strategy that you were thinking about uh, before you even began this draft? So I, I know kind of the trendy direction is to fade pitching this year. Uh, oh, gener- it's not trendy. It's always been the way, Van. I don't, fade pitching. I, I, I really do see a lot of teams that go full pitching, like SPs in six of their first seven picks. In the leagues I'm, I'm in, they do pretty well as well. So it's like... I'm other. saying it of me, of course. I've always been the guy that's been like, yeah. I do not take pitching early. Right. Please continue. So I'm just kind of looking at pitching and challenging that. And I didn't draft heavily pitching up front. I think bats, it's really just, it depends on where your slot is in the draft. But the big question is around pitching. And for me, I couldn't go with that weight on pitching approach because it's kind of twofold. One, if pitching is deep, then that means other managers are grabbing potentially top tier guys and two if it's a mirage if these guys aren't going to be there then the few guys who do hit will be that much more of a value so it's not that i'm fading it fully it's that the ones i'm targeting i want to make sure have stability and have a reliable floor so that's why this year i'm not going to be going in on guys like robbie ray or chris sale the ones that i got in this draft which we'll talk about are ones that kind of seem a little bit more vanilla compared to some of the names around them because I want to make sure if I do grab pitchers in the first six, seven rounds that they feel like guys who are going to be there, I know what they're getting. They can go deep into games, all all that good stuff. So that's a good transition then into Brandon Woodruff, who you took at the very end of the second round. Uh, Scherzer, Bueller, Colin Burns had all been off the board. So this is the fifth guy off the board. Is Woodruff number five for you or do you have him higher up? And was he a target uh, for you as you waited so long to make your second pick. Yeah, and he was a target last year, and I, I don't think much has changed, even though he, he finally introduced some of that secondary stuff. Um, you know, he's always been kind of the, we needed the slider or curveball, and this year he ramped up the use of that curveball from 6 to 16%. It was really effective, and his track record is just, now he's done this, elite performance for three seasons in a row. So, you know, I took him over to Grom. We'll see in March. Like if we're liking what we hear about Degrom, I would obviously flip flop that. Um, but I think the order that the pitchers went felt about right for me with, with Burns, Garrett Cole, Walker, Bueller, Scherzer. I like Woodruff right around um, that spot. And yeah, like you said, I, I, I'm at the turn here. So it's kind of uh, tomato, tomato, but here I knew I wanted to get one arm and then I wanted to get speed uh, with Vlad. Um, but I, I will say before we jump off Woodruff, if you look at the next guys who got taken, Wheeler, Chris Sale, Alcantara, who I know that's your boy, Robbie Ray, Lance Lynn, Nola, Rodon, Arias, all of these guys, to me, you can't look at three seasons in a row and say like they've done it um, for one reason or another. And, and that's what I really like about Woodruff in this spot is, is I'm really betting on this being kind of a stable pick that's not going to hurt me. 
Right. So yeah, DeGrom and Bieber, of course, also third round uh, went after uh, Brandon Woodruff here. So there is some contention about DeGrom being up there ahead of Woodruff, considering we all know he is the best player in baseball. But you've made it clear, look, I want the stability floor. I feel a lot safer with the volume going to get with Woodruff. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, he is he is right here for me uh, with Woodruff, too. So I'm not in any way disagreeing. Um, Wheeler and DeGrom for me are part of that first tier. I think I would feel fine having both of them if I were to take someone this other, which I am not. But if I were, that, that's that's how I would feel. Um, now, third round is Cedric Mullins. If you were at First Pitch Arizona, there was a panel on uh, with Derek Cardi up on stage. And anytime you hear Derek Cardi talk, you should listen. And he mentioned, oh, my Cedric Mullins is not someone I would be taking. Uh, Cedric Mullins is such a clear outlier of a season. Do not, do not, do not draft Cedric Mullins aggressively this year. And of course, you were not there. Well, this was before First Pitch Arizona had even begun when we took this pick. So here, talk to Derek Hardy right now. Why, why are you taking Cedric Mullins at the start of the third? Time will tell, Derek. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think a big part of this was already roster construction. So knowing I had Vlad looking for speed and I think Mullins, you know, his min pick might be around like 15. Here I got him at 25. Yes, it, it's a little risky, but the breakout season he had last year was was completely backed by things that he did. So, you know, if you completely missed it, he was always a switch hitter, and then he went to full-time lefty last year. That unlocked plenty of average against left-handed pitchers and then a ton of pop from right-handed pitchers. Um, he also was way more selective at the plate. So his first pitch swing rate dropped from 34% to 26%. He cut his K minus BB in half. So pretty much I'm looking at the puzzle, and it's like he's more selective. He's getting into a routine from being on the left side of the plate. And then if you're wondering, where did all this power come from? Now he had he had 30 home runs, 30 steals. You kind of expect the speed, but you're like, what? 30 homers from Cedric Mullins. His zone charts on where all of that power, the slugging, the actual home runs came from, was right down the center of the plate, was all red. So if I see a guy who is being more selective at the plate, he's basically waiting for his pitch that he's he's making, you know, he's hitting out of the park, and his sweet spot climbed more than uh i'm sorry it was the third highest in the entire majors his sweet spot percentage climbed 12 percent. so to me it's just like he took a step forward as a hitter and even if he doesn't do what he did this past year i feel like i'm kind of drafting him here at a 280 average 20 to 25 homers 30 steals elite runs and then the rbis he's not going to get 59 rbis so the, mike petriello had a hilarious tweet that he had the least amount of RBI opportunities since like 2007 huh. uh, of any of any player. So it's oh, like Orioles. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at him and it's like it's far and away the best hard hit of his career, the best barrel rate of his career. Maybe that pop doesn't stay. But when you pair him with Vlad, now I have two guys that pretty much even out to be 38 homers, 15 steals and a 310 average. So I, I like this start, but I don't know that I'd pick Cedric Mullins at 25 on every draft I do. So I will mention um, that the expected batting average is about 20 plus points lower from 291 to 269 and the expected slugging about 80 points uh, from 518 to 440. 
Um, and there is some expected regression. Obviously, speed is a little weirder with that. But still, that does suggest it's kind of the things that were talked about in Arizona, where there's a lot of indicators that, okay, he performed at his peak a bit. Now, you do make a good point of saying, look, if he falls down a little bit, it's still a very productive hitter at this point. And that's certainly uh, something I would be, uh, you know, I agree with you on. Uh, and talk about the min pick, uh, Justin Mason took him at the turn of the first and second round in a draft and hold. Of course he did uh, in Arizona, <laughs> if you know anything about Justin Mason. So, Cedric Mullins, for me, I'm not someone who um, drafts first-year breakouts typically, unless it's later on in the draft. I mean, if you look at mine, I've joked about this, I think, in each podcast so far. Mine is essentially the same first seven rounds as you would have found in 2020, maybe even 2019. Uh, just the way that I, uh, that's how I go about it. Cedric Mullins does seem a little bit of a risk. But if you look at the other uh, outfielders that went, Byron Buxton, obviously a risk. We You can save that for Steve. Uh, yeah. Tyler O'Neill, uh, Starling Marte, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer. And Whit Merrifield were the, the other ones before your next pick in the fourth round for, for outfield. And you can you know understand uh, why Cedric Mullins went where he did. We're going to move on to the fourth round here. Uh, it, and all of your picks are really in pairs. So do let me know if there are certain situations where you pick this guy because you knew you get the other guy too. Um, Lance Lynn is who you went with. As you mentioned before, you want the stability. And you went Woodruff and Lynn here. Turning down Aaron Nola, Carlos Rodon, Julio Urias, Freddie Peralta, Kevin Gaussman, Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty, and Max Fried. Why are you going after Lynn? Yeah, it is that stability. This is a, a very similar talk track as, as with Woodruff. I think with Lance Lynn, what we just saw is, you know, he, he missed some time, only had the 157 innings, and he still finished 52nd overall in 5x5. Five five. So I got him at that price. And I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that he's going to just be back to the workhorse that he's been in the past. Uh, three, three straight years, he's had a, a solid 7% walk rate, uh, a 191 XBA on all pitches. He threw his cutter more, his four seam less, uh, and both of those saw saw benefit there where they ticked up in whiffs. Um, so, yeah, again, next to names like Nola, where you're hoping it gets fixed, or Robbie Ray, where you're hoping it doesn't get broken again. Lance Lynn just feels like a steady Eddie right here that that I'm pairing with Woodruff and kind of set me up to take some some dart throws in the next, you know, 10, 15 rounds on pitchers with more upside, knowing I have a, a really stable floor. So, you know, you could talk about the division, all these different things. But overall, I think we now are kind of seeing what Lance Lynn is. And he was he was better than he has been in the uh, 157 innings that we saw him this year. Yeah, the weird thing about um, Lance Lynn this year to me was he was a lot uh, he was a lot less efficient um, than we've seen in the past. And what I mean by that is his innings per start were not the consistent six that we've seen. It's a lot more five or so. Uh, the pitches were still there, constantly hovering a hundred, if not exceeding it. But a lot of five inning starts, and he had four point one in his final one, which I don't really want to count. But the consistency of six frames that you think that Lance Lynn would just, you know, demand it every single time. Well, not necessarily the case this year. Does make me wonder a little bit about how much of a quote unquote workhorse he is. Because keep in mind, it was 157 innings across 28 starts. And you think, oh, it's Lance Lynn. It should be around 180 for 30, 30 starts or so. And so there is a big 23 inning gap there for two starts. But still 269 average 107 whip 27.5 percent k rate i mean 
you're very, very happy with this with Lance Lynn. It shouldn't be any different in, in Chicago. So, I mean, I have him as my number nine. Um, and save for, actually, I'm sorry, as my 11. Only Julio Urias to me is ahead. And that's only because, well, we just saw the workload from Urias and his stuff was so good. Uh, that the the efficiency problems of Lynn aren't affecting Urias, and that's the only reason why it did that. But um, there's also a feeling also that Lynn is fighting off age while Urias is just coming into that prime. But it's, it's very close, and I completely understand, given the track record. No, 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 no. I'm going to go with my stable. I'm going to go with Lynn until it makes sense. Nick Castellanos is the fifth round, and we talked about all the other outfielders, and this was the next one off the board, Nick Castellanos. There isn't another outfielder taken, actually, only one before the seventh. That's Eli Jimenez. So why Castellanos here in the fifth? Yeah, so Castellanos, I mean, again, looking at kind of the the draft I'd had so far coming off picking Cedric Mullins, wanted kind of a a true solid hitter here where we saw the breakout finally happen here. Um, He was second in in the entire majors in sweet spot percentage last year. His XBA rose from from 273 to 289 last year, and he had the best K rate of his career. So a lot of good things where he's hitting the ball better. Um, you know, the 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 K rate and the plate discipline was as good as it gets. So, yeah, it, it all rolled up to a 309 uh, batting average, 34 homers, 100 RBIs, 95 runs. It'll be really interesting to see where he lands um, because that definitely is the best park for him to be hitting home runs in. Um, so I could see some of that, go, you know, looking back, maybe I could have gone for Austin Riley here, um, but at pick 49, I'm still at that stability and let's make sure we don't mess up kind of the core of our team. So I, I like Cassianos here. We'll see where he lands. Um, it, it's ironic that this biggest breakout ever happened the year that his barrels dropped because he's always been kind of the barrel king and everyone's like, oh, he's going to break out. And now he finally broke out and the barrels dropped. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably signing up for a uh, 290 average, 30 homers, 180 runs and RBIs, which that should, that should come no matter where he, he lands in the off season. But, um, I, yeah. What do you think? I mean, 138 games and he had 34 home runs and 95 runs and hundred RBI and 309 average. I mean, it's hard to really push back against that considering that the floor is still really good around 25 home runs and likely will sign somewhere that has him in the middle of an order and he'll put up good runs and RBI numbers and not kill you an average. Like I love Nick Castellanos. I was, uh, I was really tempted to get him instead of George Springer in the fourth. Um, and I went with Springer just because he is, he provides more in the speed category that I don't want to think about later on. But I mean, Castellanos in the fifth, I, I want that all day. I'm looking at the other guys who you mentioned Austin Riley. I don't, trust Austin Riley like I do Nick Castellanos Um, and Brandon Lau same kind of thing Uh, I feel like this is a seal of approval in the fifth round all right got the first I mean (laughs) uh, I don't know I mean this might be where ADP lands on him I could see Castellanos going third or fourth you know especially if he signs in a with a great team where people say oh cool Um, this is what we want now there might be a case to be made about Cincinnati lean you know helping him a lot more but yeah, well, I don't. I don't really see what you'd have against Nick Castellanos. I mean, he's great, and he—you he normally don't get three-category production with this kind of average. After I don't know the first three rounds, 
and you're getting it in the fifth. That seems amazing to me. So, yeah, even uh, as a Cardinals fan, uh, I still don't have a reason to not like Castellanos here. So um, he, he kind of haunted us all year and and rubbed it in our faces when he did it. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the his his uh, you know how, sta- uh, you know, on Savant Nick where they have kind of the home runs by ballpark and it's, sure, it's yeah. assumed that they were all hit, you know, at Great America his total was 38, which was far and away the highest wow. out of any park. So like that next to like, uh, let's see, let's say PNC was 26, Bush Stadium was 29. So I think maybe there's just a little bit of fear. Even Detroit well, was 22 homers that there, that some of these might come down a little the bit. The good but. news is that he won't sign with the Pirates. I, no, I, don't, I, I don't think that's going to happen. We're safe so, on that one. There you go. Everything is fine with Castellanos. We're going to move on to your sixth round. So now you go 6-7 here. You have two outfielders and a first baseman. Uh, And you have Nolan Arenado. You are a Cardinal fan. But are you buying truly that Arenado can be the absolute stud of old? I think so. I think that's baked in here. Pick 72, this range felt right to me. Um, you know, the, the next picks at third base, I mean, this early on, again, we're in October, we'll, we'll find out where all these cliffs are when we get around to March, but out of the gate, this feels like there's a third base cliff. The next ones after this were Cabrian Hayes, Jonathan India, Yohan Mankata. I've got Arenado at 72 after a year where he had 34 homers, 105 RBIs. Yeah. He batted 255. We knew the average would come down after cores. But I still think maybe there's there's a little bit of balancing there. He might have been pressing his first year in St. Louis. Um, his stat cast page doesn't quite look like you know it used to in Coors. That's a little concerning. Um, but I love that he just had a 14% K rate. I mean, if you tell me Arenado is only striking out 14% of the time, with how good of a hitter he's been for that long, you know, I'll bet on a 265 average, 35 homers, and counting stats that actually could go up because. Outside of that 17-game win streak, the Cardinals were in a huge funk for like three months of the season. So um, I, I, I like it here. And maybe in like the 60s, it might be a little early, but at 72, I felt pretty good about this one. Well, considering the walk rate's always going to be low with Arenado, um, it's always been sub 10%, say for one season. Uh, you're not going to have a much higher OBP than the 315. Sure, the average goes up, then you want to say 340 at best or something. Along those lines, like back in the day, it was 380, but that's when we was batting 315 or so, and that's not what we're going to expect. Uh, so with that in mind, the run total won't be as elite as others. Um, 81, I think, is actually kind of great. I'd be really happy with that, honestly, with Arenado. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so keep that in mind, at least with him, but the RBI production will be there. Be there. He's still in the middle of that lineup. He's playing the ball and play a ton, which will help with it. You know, the, the, the declines in average are for balls in play which is good when you're trying to get RBI as opposed to striking out. Uh, home runs, 34. I mean, that sounds great, but probably 30. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I don't really know where we're going to land there on Arnado, but you got a third baseman here that is going to help out your team. And the drop-off at this point is pretty significant. Uh, I'm only seeing, yeah, as you mentioned, Brian Hayes, Mankata, India. Yeah, it's, it's a very large one, and I think you got... The last of the stable ones. So I like this pick a lot. Not so much like Castellanos, which is such a clear cut to me. Stud. Um, there is some risk in the ongoing inevitable degradation of Nolan Arenado. But I, but still, I think that you're going to be very happy with Arenado in the sixth round. We're going to yeah. move to the seventh. 
Christian Yelich. Oh, now is when you start speaking of some, <laughs> yeah, some risks here. Uh, expecting the best of Christian Yelich next year. So is he going to do it? Is this the year finally, Van, where he goes back to being his MVP self? So that's the gamble, and it's all just at the investment here at pick 73. And I'm so curious, after I go through Yelich, I want to hear where you kind of think his ADP will land. But, you know, draft context, I'm coming off of two pretty safe picks with Castellanos and Arenado. Turn around and, and pick a total upside pick here that has a much different shape than any other kind of traditional upside pick. Yelch is only 29. His last full season <laughs> before last, he batted 329 with 44 homers and 30 steals. I know it seems like it was five years ago. I know he's dealt with injuries. I know he looks like he's completely lost at the plate. Uh, but in 2020, in the shortened season, he was on pace for 35 homers. Everything else looked bad. Last year, everything looked bad. He did have COVID in, in late July. It's just a weird factor. Who knows how, how it played in, but I think it's at least worth noting. And from a fantasy standpoint, I think it's really obvious where the issues were for Yelich because some of his hard hit rate on when he actually did hit the ball, which wasn't as often, uh, was similar to what it's been his career. The, the real issues were his launch angle, and his ground ball rate. So his ground ball rate was 55%. It's the highest it's been since 2017 when he used to be that Marlins guy hovering between like the fifth and eighth round. But beyond that, he was still a good player back when he was that type at the Marlins. And then the issue here is that he needs to elevate the ball and get back to, to actually hitting fly balls so that he can hit these out of the park. I can't believe he only had nine home runs this year. It's the weirdest stats. Unreal. Um, but uh, Kind of where I'm at here, Nick, is that if we're saying he's one swing change away from elevating the ball again and going back to potentially being like a top two round player, wouldn't we at least think it's worth the flyer knowing he was the one who kind of started the launch angle revolution in the first place? Well, yes and no. Um, I would I do want to mention by Yelich really quickly that run totals are still going to be there to does get on base. It was a 15% walk rate. He's had excellent walk rates all his career, really, but really pushed it up uh, in 2019 to 14%, and it's just kind of stuck there, if not higher. Um, two, 362 on base last year might shock a lot of people, despite the 248 average. Uh, so he had 70 runs, 117 games. That is excellent, and that likely will stick around uh, moving forward. And, of course, there's room for more. Um, now, I will say... I'm all for taking those kinds of chances uh, when there's a round where the other guys don't hint at that, um, where they, the other other guys around this are don't have that opportunity. And I'm looking at the list here from just this round. Uh, it's Chris Bryant, Adalberto Manzi, Randy Rosarina, Jose Breu, J.D. Martinez, Jesse Winker, Brian Reynolds, Jorge Polanco, and Jazz Chisholm. And some of those, all right, those aren't those prime first through third round talents. I think Rosarina can be. I think Abreu certainly can. There's a chance of J.D. Martinez doing that again. Jesse Winker has hinted at it. Chris Bryant has a lot of hints of it. Adalberto Mondesi, of course, there's tons of risk with injury, but we all know what he can do. So when you throw Yelich in there, those other guys have decent floors too. Um, of, you know, if I have Jose Abreu this year, I'm not going to feel like I have to drop him or that he's just, you're not staring at him to go do something and poking him with a stick. Uh, Chris Bryant should be very serviceable despite... Whatever, wherever he goes, uh, Chris Bryant should be very, very helpful. Same with J.D. Martinez. 
Christian Yelich, uh, I want to like this more. It does seem like it was a 15-15 season, save for the the, the shortened season. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, not the short, well, his his shortened season. I don't know if I'm going to be chasing it. Uh, I think it's I think it's more pain than we've wanted. We waited a while for that tweak to happen, and haven't we haven't seen it? Um, it's not so easy as just saying, "Oh, it's a swing change thing. You're fine." Uh, there's a very famous video of Barry Bonds teaching Yelich to cut to chop at the ball more, which then leads to more home runs. And I hope that it's that easy, but it hasn't been. Um, and I, I think we got to recalibrate what we anticipate for Christian Yelich, which is, hey, 15-15 with 85 runs and like 60 to about 70 RBI or so, around like a 265-ish average. I don't know. I'm just I'm just pulling this out of nowhere. But uh, it's that's kind of what we can expect. So if that's what you're anticipating, um, with that little hint of more, maybe that's a seventh rounder. I, I, it's not necessarily the thing that I want to chase. I mean, it's actually very close to your next pick, which is Tommy Edmond. Uh, so I'm not I'm not a big fan. I'm probably not going to be the guy that goes after it, but I can't blame you for chasing it. Would well, you think 73 is kind of where the dust will settle on his ADP? Yeah, sounds about right. Because I mean, still Christian Yelich, he still won a dream of it. I, I, I wonder where like the difference between Bellinger and Yelich will be because they're both yeah. the same story in this way. And seeing Bellinger go in the 10th and Yelich in the 7th is kind of that, uh, you know, those four things, right? Those, the, the, those four rounds, rather, I feel like that might be smaller. And is there really a difference between chasing those two things? I don't really know. Uh, yeah, so, that's a good well, point. I mean, Yelich is a little bit safer. I just talked about 15-15. So maybe that's a little bit better than Bellinger and why you picked him before. Yeah, and I, I, I did need a little bit of speed here with Castellanos and Arenado beforehand, and Vlad is my first pick. But in, in hindsight, yeah, I think Arozarena has probably got a higher floor, but weirdly enough, I think a lower ceiling. I mean, I don't think you can really say a 30-year-old Yelich doesn't have a higher ceiling than a Rosarena when he, you know, had the year he did two years ago. Oh, absolutely. Ago. The, the ceiling, yes. Realistic is what I'm kind of thinking of. <laughs> I don't think any of us can really expect, you know, 44 home runs and 30 stolen bases again with a 330 average from Yelich. I just no. think that's... It's fool's gold. I think thirty. I think I think thirty fifteen is possible. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, it's not the most likely outcome, but I think it, it's. Which it's a would then be outcome. similar to what we envision for Rosarina, then, right? Yeah, I think they're, they're they are close, and in hindsight, I could see flip flopping that and feeling a little bit better about it. But but who knows? I know nothing about hitters, Van. Uh, I'm just here to ask questions. <laughs> uh, all right, Tommy Edmond though is your next pick, and as I alluded to, um, they're kind of similar. I mean, 11 home runs and 30 stolen bases, more on the speed side, of course, with Edmond, 262 average, 91 runs. Uh, you mentioned Cardinals guy here, uh, Arenado now Edmond. Uh, walk me through uh, your full thought process picking Edmund to start or actually end the eighth round. Yeah, it was interesting. We had a question that came up in the Discord when when we had uh, posted the the draft board, and someone said it feels like that's early for Edmund. So it picked ninety six is where I grabbed him. I needed the second baseman. He finished ninety second this year in in five by five. So. I think right away we've already seen him do it. And I really do feel like there's room to grow here. Um, You know, Edmonds still 26 years old. He finished this year batting six or 262, 11 homers, 30 steals, uh, 91 runs and just 56 RBIs. I think his average is quite, is a bit up from this. His XBA was 270 this year. Uh, He batted 300 his rookie year across 90 games. So I think he's more of a true like, 270 to 285 hitter 
Um, his 13% strikeout rate was top 8% of the league. Um, and while he's not, he's certainly not a masher, he just had a 6% home run to fly ball rate where his Oof. career, his career clip is, is closer to like 12. Again, it's not a ton of pop, but I do think Edmund is a 1530 guy and with confidence. Um, so it, it might be a little bit earlier than where he ends up going next year, but you know, I'm a cards fan. If they get the, uh, if they get that dh and the nl he might have some more rbi opportunities and yeah i'm signing up for 270 to 280 15 homers 30 steals at second base which is a, a position i needed definitely uh, it is kind of shocking nearly 70 game difference between 2019 2021 for Edmund, yet 11 home runs in both because of that 6.3 homer fireball rate in 2021 which is just atrocious not at all what you want. Scott, atrocious it was. Uh, now, second base, you make that point. This is something I will mention every single time. You can check this off on your bingo cards that I hope you've all made for these mock draft podcasts. Yes, you have to have a plan for second base. Uh, it's it's something that gets illuminated during these mock drafts. Um, why we do them in many ways is we highlight who are the guys and as you build your team from the bottom up as the way to do it. Not about planning to get Bo Bichette in the first round. What if you get number eight and someone takes it seven and the whole thing is messed up? Plan from the bottom where you can actually go and reach around and get the guys that you want. And you have to plan who are the discount second baseman, first baseman, every position that you would like and really assess, okay, where are the cliffs? Where are the moments that I would feel okay jumping for a guy or not? Edmund, to me, is the start of a second tier. I don't really know if he's someone that I would um, circle as I need to get this guy before the next layer uh, of, of second baseman. There aren't really many options now, though. LeMahieu, are you going to bounce buy a bounce back there? Gleyber Torres, uh, Ryan McMahon, uh, Jake Cronenworth. I think there's one or two that have multi-position eligibility that I'm missing here. Jonathan India. In the 11th round, he's not a third baseman. He's a second baseman. But so so I totally get it. And you've actually complimented Guerrero Jr. and Cassianos well with Edmund. Same with Arenado. Um, it might actually be a, a popular strategy to do that. Is to really go for that power knowing that you can get Edmund and those 25-plus stolen bases. Because, hey, it was 159 games. I don't know if you're going to see that again from Edmund. hope so. But, you know, you gotta everything needs to go right for him to get the opportunity to steal in the first place. Crossing my fingers, it does. Should be something, you know, solid with that. So that might that's a good pairing there. Um, yeah, he's all he's on my radar of okay, need some speed before all the other ones hit. I think Edmund's a good call. Uh Webb. Logan Webb. Oh man. Oh God. I know we're gonna Webb. we're gonna differ. We're gonna differ here a little bit. Well, man. I don't know how I feel, man. That's the problem. <laughs> I don't know. How to feel, and it's 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 this constant feeling inside this industry that people look to you for the one thing that I do, and they say you have to have an answer, and you got to stick with it. And I'll be honest, you know, everybody listening, you have some career, some field that you're in, and there are things in that you you just want to throw up your hands and go, I I can't give you the answer that you want. And Logan Webb to me is is one of the four guys this year that I'm just I'm wrestling over. I, I want to hear your thoughts, Vance. All right, here, here we go. 24 years old, which Steve and I were joking about. For some reason, we, we thought whether it was his picture or his name that Logan Webb was like 28 years old. He's not. He, he's, he's 24 years old um, this season. Again, this is pick 97 that I got him at. 
This season, he finished 84th in 5 by 5 He missed all of May and June. And when he came back, FYI, after his injury, he was much better than before the injury. So 148 innings this year, 158 strikeouts, 303 ERA, 111 whip. Fantastic. So what happened, he kind of did the the Corbin Burns blueprint where he ditched the bad fastball and, and went more to the sinker. I know it kind of gets classified weird, but different pitch than, than his four seam. And then works in the slider changeup as well. Logan Webb has the second highest ground ball rate among starters with 100 innings or more. So 61% ground ball rate is up in that like Luis Castillo territory. Uh, you know, he, he the sinker is a huge part of that. And then it sets up his slider that has a 39% CSW. Uh, he has looked elite with the slider as a punch out pitch. And if you go out to uh, check out Rob Friedman's uh, pitching ninja, you can look at the other pitches, not the slider. His sinker changeup tunneling is absolutely filthy. You know, I was feeling great about this pick before his playoff performance where Logan Webb has gone out, thrown 14 and two-thirds against the Dodgers, 17 strikeouts and only one earned run. So I, I get the, you know, short track record, strange delivery. I think, Nick, you have some concerns that can he keep that control? Can he keep the rhythm? But for me, at pick 97 here, where this is, the start of the ninth round, this to me feels like a, a gamble worth the investment that he could be a top 15 pitcher if what we've seen is the real deal. And all we're really saying is we're not sure if it's real because he has kind of a wonky delivery. So I, I like this, especially with the pairing of Lance Lynn and Woodruff. He's my SP3. He's got that stable floor above him, but I, I love everything I'm seeing from, from Logan Webb. He threw his, his pitches that are great more after his injury and got better results. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all signs pointing up for Webb. So before I begin, ninth round with Otani, Cease, Barrios, McClanahan, Montes, Kershaw, Manoa, and Musgrove drafted the round before. I'm all for it. This is totally fine with me. Okay. You're drafting Webb where he went. I think you won't see it. I think what you're going to see is Logan Webb in like the fifth or sixth. Um, not to sound egotistical, but I do think the ranking I put out influenced some of these decisions to push him down to the ninth uh, because it just seems so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm one of the very few that are looking at Webb and thinking I don't think so as much. And I've been even going back and forth on it because, again, I don't know about Webb, but you won't see this is my point. Ninth round Webb, not so much. And I can hear all the other drafters yell in their cars, wherever they're listening to, like, I wasn't listening to you, Nick. Get out of here. I had a tab oh, open. I had a tab open. <laughs> Only you, Van. Um, I didn't even listen to it. No, I'm kidding. Um, with Logan Webb, it's I. Uh, I've been getting samples uh, for um, for pitchless hiring. Uh, one of the the topics you can select is can you know Logan Webb repeat his success in 2021? And it's more of I don't have an answer. So I, this is a perfect thing to ask everyone else is saying, hey, so give me your stance on this. How do you feel about it? Why do you feel that way? And um, a lot of it is going in a direction where there's nothing wrong with whatsoever is, look, like all of these stats that we know and we love in fantasy say he was good and he deserved to be good. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that whatsoever. He had an amazing slider. 39% CSW. His changeup wasn't actually that great in the season, but then at times it really showed up, like against the Dodgers in his postseason was really good. The sinker had one of the highest vertical drops of any sinker in the majors this year uh, and was, what do you know, really good. 
Uh, so that's not really the question for me. The question is, was this just a guy in rhythm? Was this guy a guy that actually has a full skill set that is going to stick season to season? And why am I questioning Logan Webb when I'm not as questioning, say, Alec Manoa and Jamie Clanahan as much, who are these newer guys showcasing something new? Um, and I believe more in that, say, Robbie Ray and Carlos Rodon. And that's a very good question. And it, that is rooted to me of, I think, the raw stuff of Manoa's slider and fastball or McClanahan's three-pitch mix or Robbie Ray's heater and, uh, and his unbelievable slider cause Rodonna increasing his vo- that velocity. To me, that is something that's stickier year to year than the rhythm that Logan Webb was in. And trust me, it was rhythm. I think I saw on Twitter 20 straight starts without a loss, which is also kind of luck, but it was also just Logan Webb was that guy. It's two and runs are fewer in every start. I I want to believe that this is who he is now. He has a lower arm angle. So Logan Webb gets a lot of this horizontal movement on it and is able to actually get that extra sink because he then gets the right angle for seam-shifted wake, which then creates the, the drop on a sinker. Um, it generally speaks to worse command than we saw. And oftentimes there are guys with overall for their entire career have shifty command, but they have these pockets of really good command, and that's what I call rhythm. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I can I, I, I can be the dumbest person. I was saying this the first bit Arizona. I could be the dumbest person in his Arizona saying that I would rather have Alec Manoa than Logan Webb and that I just don't believe it as much as, as all the hoopla we're giving now. We've certainly seen also the playoff tax affect people. I remember how much uh, it affected, say, like Sonny Gray, for example, for a little bit. And Sonny Gray hasn't really been the consistent guy he showed in that that playoff appearance back then. So... I I mean, it's it's rough. I'm probably going to move Logan Webb from like 33 now to somewhere between 20 and 25. Um, that's still going to be around Manoa and McClanahan and where you got him, specifically to your mock draft. Yeah, that's probably where I'd take Logan Webb now. So no problems whatsoever with that. I hope that helped everybody about my, uh, I don't know, how I'm wrestling in my head what to do with Logan Webb. Um, it could be certainly drafts where I get him just because he falls like this one if he falls the ninth round like this absolutely but there's gonna be one person in your league it's like Logan Webb was so good I don't see why he wouldn't be so good so he's gonna go like the 15th starter or something like that in that league and that's just the way of things is there anything to add to that ridiculous ramble I I loved it and I've talked to you (laughs) about like I like hearing about the rhythm and you know it's always fascinating to hear you break down and and I'm learning as I'm listening, but my question is like, cause you mentioned the rhythm for Jack Flaherty, that one incredible season and yeah. it was the next season he faded back. But are you saying that like the, the slider with the 39% CSW, like, isn't that stuff to where we can start saying like, he does have it or he does have something. I don't think that slider keep- is a true 39% CSW pitch is the thing. Okay. Um, because if he falls out of rhythm, then everything gets worse. Okay. Right. Uh, so that that's that's the real question mark is all right if this if I'm calling this a peak season which I feel like in many ways it is that's just what my gut is saying and I'm so sorry for using my gut um, it's yeah that means that the slider then gets worse as well uh, so yeah that's ugh, it's, I'm wrestling I'm, I'm figuring it out I found I, I the 33 rank that I put for Logan Webb was not taking enough into consideration the possibility that Logan Webb does repeat a lot of 2021. So that's why he's going to come back up. If he repeats it in full, he's a top 10 guy. Um, but then I'm going to pull back from that. 
It's going to be around 22, 23, right next to Alec Manoa and Shane McClanahan, likely. So that expect that. That makes sense. Um, we're going to move on. Uh, but before we do, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So, 10th round, you don't have a shortstop. And he said, oh, no. And you took Brandon Crawford. Why Brandon Crawford? Well, still chipping away at the need for speed here with Vlad first overall. You said you don't want to have to worry about speed. I, I was still there. But Crawford, um, I think, you know, we're kind of looking at, I've got the old man squad here. If you if you haven't noticed with with Lynn, Arenado, Yelich, Crawford. But Crawford made some s- significant changes. He talked about, a little bit of a swing change to try to hit more fly balls. Um, and he did exactly that. He had a 41% fly ball rate after years of kind of being in the low thirties. And it kind of resulted in some nice gains this year. So he had 24 homers, 11 steals, which is great from, I believe Crawford's 34 might want to check me on that, but pretty active on the base path. So 24 homers, 11 steals, 298 average. That was pretty inflated by a 334 BABIP. So, you know, maybe that comes down to like a, a 265, 270. Uh, but overall, he finished 53rd this year in five by five. So I'm baking in that there's going to be some regression here, but I'm I'm only picking him at, at pick 120. So I, I like it. I think he, he's solid on the base pass, didn't get caught stealing that often. Um, the power gains, I think, are real. He had the best barrel rate of his career at 11.5%. Less strikeouts, more walks, pretty much everything improved for Crawford. Uh, so I'm kind of signing up here on a must-add-a-shortstop moment for 265, 20 to 25 homers, 10 steals, and and good counting stats with, with the Giants if they can repeat what they did this year. But what were your thoughts, uh, Nick? Do you think this it's is early? It's not for me, Van. It's not, not for me. Not into it. Well, it's it's we're getting close to the point in the draft. As you mentioned, you took a flyer on Yelich in the seventh round. Um, there, there are two things I do want to mention. One, in general, shortstop this year is very deep. Uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked at how many shortstops went before Brandon Crawford. And not even the ones on yellow inside of that draft board you guys see. There's even more than that. There's also Marcus Semien, who's listed as second baseman, has eligibility. Jazz Chisholm has it as well. I believe maybe Kettle Marte, maybe not anymore. I got to double check that one. But there are so many shortstops to get. And I would imagine you might be setting yourself up to grab one of them in a pick before this one so that you don't have to lean on Crawford, who to me, I imagine in season, you will find someone on the wire that is going to outperform Brandon Crawford. Uh, I don't I don't know if I believe in the peak 24 uh, home runs, never had. Uh, I mean, he had 21 in 2015, but the outside of that's really just been 
11, 14, not much. And you're saying there's a swing change, and maybe that's yeah, I'm overlooking that. There's also the increase of stolen bases at 11. When all of a sudden people start stealing, it's hard for me to really buy that all of a sudden now that's who he is. And he's going to be a huge steal guy. So double-digit steals, I think, is a bit of a reach. The average went up to 298. Again, this whole season is just a massive peak. Now seeing the walk rate go up is very good. Um, seeing the higher fly ball rate is very good, 41%, as opposed to the 30% or so, sometimes in the middle uh, before this. That's all a good indication. Um, I'm not necessarily sold that it's all going to stick. And you also have other guys to chase from. So the other half of this was... Okay, there's a lot of depth, but that also means that there are some really fun upside ones later on to take. So there's Bobby Witt Jr., the one in the 12th round. And oh man, if you want to chase a shortstop after missing out on, say, Wander Franco and Carlos Correa and stuff that you really depend on, then Bobby Witt, ooh, there's so much upside in that one. Um, William Thomas had an amazing time in the Brewers. You might want to chase that and then have a clearer path in April and May when you see someone else. Do you want to swatch, swatch, uh, switch out? I want to say swap and then switch. So it became swatch. swatch. Uh, do you want to swatch uh, Willie Adamas? Uh, because you'll know by then. It's kind of like how I treat pitchers is you'll have a better indication um, by April, at the end of April, if you want to keep on, keep rostering Adamas. Dansby Swanson had an absurd season. I would actually argue in some ways Swanson is a, a safer pick than, uh, than Brandon Crawford would be. There's also even, and I can't get it out of my head because essentially I saw one tweet about O'Neill Cruz and how he just crushed a, a ground ball for like 160, 117 exit velocity. And he's a shortstop for the Pirates, essentially a prospect. He's probably going to have the job next year. And I can't get this out of my mind of like, oh, yeah, the, the Pirates have like a, a masher at shortstop. And that sounds really cool. And I would I would be down to try that. I think Crawford is a little too capped in the ceiling and a the uh, a little risky as far as replicating 2021 so it's not for me it's not my kind of pick Brandon yeah, yeah that makes sense and, and i usually don't employ the uh upside for infield but i think it's a, it's a good point that throughout the season someone would probably look tempting for, for to replace crawford had i known dansby swanson was going in the 16th round oh, which is so where he ended good. up going in this i, I would have loved signing up for that right then and there. Uh, but in my world, I, I thought if I don't grab, you know, Crawford or somebody, then it, it's going to get real thin here. But yeah, it's yeah. really tough for you. You This is the, the first pick of the 10th, and it's it's tough being at the edges because you got to wait a long time. And if you're thinking that maybe a couple of these shortstops go now, uh, then you might be in a bad situation. I totally understand that. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess I wouldn't even put myself in position to get Crawford or, uh, then I would just say, you know what, I'm just going to cheat on this one and play chicken and try, you know, maybe go for Bobby Witt in two rounds and hope he's still there or, uh, Dansby Swanson later on. I don't know. I would, I would have a different game plan than this, but yeah, you, you ended the round of the 10th. I'm sorry with Crawford came back around and oh no, here we go. Van, why would you do this to me? Uh, all right. All right, guys. I know man. you're out. I know you're out. Yeah, I'm I'm very much out. Well, I'm out at this cost. Um, the pick I'm, I'm groaning at, everyone, is Ranger Suarez kicking off the 11th. And before you begin, I just want to remind everybody else, if you're not looking at the board, who Van could have taken 
that were still available. We're talking Jose Arquiti, Shane Boz, Sonny Gray, Marcus Stroman, Waskari Noah, Justin Verlander, Mike Clevenger, Nathan Uvalde, Ian Anderson, Chris Bassett, Adam Wainwright. And that's just the next two rounds. Luis Severino, then then Michael Kopech and Framber Valdez and Noah Syndergaard and Sean Manaya, Patrick Sandoval, Tristan McKenzie, Logan Gilbert, Josiah Gray, and so on. But you decided Ranger Suarez. Why did you go Ranger Suarez here? So I think it's it's similar to what we were just talking about with Crawford, where I'm trying to I'm trying to hit the home run here. And I know some of those names you mentioned, Shane Baz, uh Waskari Noah. They could have easily been slotted in here for the the upside pick, but I'm not as interested in like a Wainwright, Bassett, Sonny Gray. I'm not losing that much That's sleep. That's fine. I'm I'm okay there. I'm with you on the uh, the the more the the lower ceiling guys. Sure, that's fine. So what we're looking at with Ranger, this was the 40th pitcher off the board. I think when all said and done, yes, it, it's it's sooner than he'll go. He'll probably be like 55, 55th pitcher off the board. I actually had Nathan Eovaldi selected and drafted and changed it out to Suarez because huh. I, I had Woodruff, I had Lynn. I was like, let's get somebody who could actually spike and and really turn into an elite pitcher. And I know that you are, are out on Ranger. I, I defer to your wisdom on that. But what I'm seeing here, his sinker that he leans on, his top pitch, second highest P-Val in the majors, Um you know, his K rate at 25% isn't that high. It's, you know, coming out to about a strikeout per inning, but his contract, his, his contact suppression was pretty much the best in the majors where it's like 93rd percentile hard hit. His ground ball rate was third in the majors. Um, Yes. He faced a light schedule down the home stretch, but he did it against the Dodgers and the Rays before that. And I don't know how much stock I put in the light schedule thing. I've had a lot of great pitchers get shelled against the Marlins. I was looking at some of those opponents, like he, he played the Cubs, and the Cubs put five runs on Logan Webb uh, the series before that. They put three runs on Corbin Birds. Uh, you know, he he faced the Pirates and had a complete game shutout. The Pirates lit up Josiah Gray two weeks before that. So I, I just, he pitched long enough to where I feel like this could be kind of a Dallas Keuchel in his prime where yes, the K rate is going to be a little lackluster, but the, the the line he put up was so elite that I think even if we regress a little bit, I don't think it's outrageous to think 160 innings, a 330 ERA, and a respectable like 115 WHIP. Um, I know that that's that's a dart throw, and I know you're out on it, Nick. But that's where I was going here is that this guy could basically take what he did and. If that's real, if that's who he is, then this 40th pitcher off the board is is actually a decent value pick. But let's hear it. Let's have it. I mean, that's a big if. I mean, no, no, no. Don't worry. I'm not going to. I don't bite. Uh, (laughs) um, The biggest question to me is the WRC plus on Ranger Suarez's sinker. And I know that's on such a weird random stat to to say. But yeah, you quoted PVAL 18.4. Um, for Ranger Suarez's sinker. And that was, um, if you don't know PVAL, it is a value given to every single pitch thrown and what the run differential was after that pitch concluded. I don't love it because it's purely results-based. has nothing to do with, and it's also context-based as well. So, for example, in different situations, you throw the same pitch and you'll have different PVAL because it's about what happened and you know what the scenario was as well. Ranger Suarez, 48 WRC plus allowed on his sinker. That is so stupid low. 
Uh, he allowed only four extra base hits on the pitch across 732 thrown. I just don't think that's in any way sustainable. Um, it's just not what you normally see with it. I don't believe I've watched a good amount of Ranger Suarez. I don't think this is all of a sudden is a guy that's like, oh my God, his his sinker is just amazing. It's incredible. He has such a precise command that he's going to be that guy. I just, I don't see that. I see someone who had really excellent results over a short period of time. Yes, you're, you're completely right about how opponents are overblown sometimes you still need to do the thing doesn't matter that you've paired up with them you got to execute and ranger suarez performed at a level where he could execute i don't think we'd be talking about ranger suarez in any way like this if he faced any sort of balanced schedule uh, i i think we'll we'll have the back and forth there is a very small sample of him as a starter down the stretch if he you know if he faces solid offense just a couple more I think we would be talking about this way differently. Um, there isn't depth to the ret- repertoire either. I, I think the best asset really is the changeup, that 20% swing strike rate. And was it, it was an overall very effective pitch for Suarez last year. However, 29% CSW on it. He just earned a lot of outs on it. And same kind of thing with the sinker. And I, I don't want to reward that too heavily. I, oof, it, it, it speaks so well to small sample size, small sample size, small sample size. And while I understand that Ranger Swerves could be very helpful for your fantasy teams, I just do not see a full season uh, massive impact play um, coming for Ranger Suarez. And the chance of that is at least higher on a lot of other guys. Um, I, 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 it's just not the play that I would be personally making. I am so excited at the end of the year, this happens every time, to sit here and be so dumb like I was with Corbin Burns. Uh, man, I'm so thrilled how good of a pitcher he is. <laughs> I hope Ranger Suarez makes me look stupid as well. I truly, truly do. I I will say at the very least, if you believe in Ranger Suarez, I don't think you need to go after him in the 11th round if you do. No. I think you can pair this with, I don't know, if you want to have fun, chase Mike Clevenger in the 11th round. Um, if you really want to talk about more believable ceiling or so, um, you can chase the, the steady idea of Marcus Stroman. I think you have a safer floor on that one. I have a good time with Shane Baz or Michael Kopech. Uh, there, Ian Anderson has so much potential in that arm. Uh, you can have those those conversations. Hey, Evaldi, even though I'm not the biggest Evaldi guy, uh, because it was a 3.7 ERA in this quote-unquote breakout year, and he had perfect health. Um, but still, I like your other picks way more than this one. And I would even make an argument that you can be making the ones that you take in 13th, 14th, 15th here, as opposed to Ranger Suarez. But we'll talk about those later. That's my spiel. Is there anything that you want to give pushback to that I just mentioned, Van? No, I mean, I think he did start 12 games. So, you know, without mentioning that, when we say it's a really small sample size, like that is almost halfway to like a full run of a season. Um, but the, the the only other thing is just I don't know that we actually mentioned like that his 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 2021 season ERA was 136 Ooh. with a one double O whip so it's like it's not going to be that but I'm saying if we haven't seen him be bad yet <laughs> across 12 starts so part of me with looking at some of these other guys is like I already know what they are I I, I know what Sunny sure. Gray is I don't know what shape and size it's going to be but it's not going to be what Suarez showed in 12 starts. And, and I totally get what you're saying. It's going to come down to reality. And 
I'm just hoping that reality is kind of like a prime Dallas Keuchel, but totally agree. And looking back, this is the one that stands out. It's like, wow, that was early compared to where a, I could have gotten him or B where I got some other pitchers. Like, you know, we'll talk about Severino in a minute here, but yeah, that, that was the flip flop that I'd feel way better if it was in that order. The one thing I will say, um, and a lot of people you know, know this about me, where I'm notorious for not chasing um, the guys that generally are good out-getters. I call them Tobies often uh, because they normally don't come with a strikeout rate for whatever reason. So I said a 25-26% K rate, which I think we can all agree is probably going to fall down. Um, the reason I don't go for it is because oftentimes it sets you up for more disappointment then I like the, the the risk and reward balance is a little bit off. Good example this year, Kyle Hendricks was always just a popular, like you just get Kyle Hendricks and you just don't think about it and everything. And then you kind of saw this year of rights. He doesn't have the ceiling to pull or the, the, the stuff to pull him out of a stretch like he had this year. Um, and I don't think Suarez has enough to turn to because there will be moments of struggle. This year for Ranger Suarez, every single pitcher goes through. You talk about it with you have 20 percent of starts are amazing. 20 percent of starts are bad. And then there's about the 60 percent in the middle. We haven't seen the 20 percent yet. We just haven't had enough time to get to it. The problem is when he gets through that moment of adversity, what is Ranger Suarez going to turn to to get himself out of it? Because there's nothing, nothing to turn to. Um, And maybe you're saying, Nick, maybe that just doesn't happen as severely as you say. And that's a good point. But. Uh, that's sure. kind of where my mentality is here. It, last, last note, too, is, you know, it was impressive how quickly he got stretched out from a reliever to going like complete game in, in a couple months. Yeah. And he does have that slider, which is his best whiff pitch. He throws at 8% of the time. You know, if he spends a whole offseason knowing he's a starter, could he work on some of these things? He's a 26-year-old pitcher. Um, so I, I definitely hear all the things you're saying, but maybe he can still tap into stuff to, that's to basically treat himself more as a starter. Interesting point for Ranger Suarez to then say, hey, I'm going to be a starter, so maybe I can figure out that, that slider more. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, we're going to move on to the 12th round. And if you didn't follow it, Van, uh, the Launch Angle podcast did a thing at First Pitch Arizona where they mocked our mock because we were the only mock draft around, took guys from each round, and this kick off the 12th round, Rob Silver took Joey Votto with his pick. So I'm not going to tell you all the things that he said. I want to hear what you have to say first. I, I love this pick. So 144th overall, we, as, as an industry, we don't deserve Joey Votto. Um, <laughs> we do not. Th- this came after, this came after Tommy Edmond and Carl, or Carl, <laughs> uh, Brandon Crawford. So I needed to kind of balance out some more pop here. And Votto just so impressed that he literally went out and told us what he was going to do completely retool himself into a power launch angle hitter. He did it. And still we are letting him drop from where he finished 78th this year down to 144 on ADP. So there might be a little ageism stuff going on here, but with, with Votto, his line ended up a 266 average 36 homers and 99 RBIs, a 938 OPS on the year, which is incredible. Votto had the biggest gains in the majors in hard hit and in average exit velocity, fourth biggest gains in barrels. Um, basically, Votto 
a Hall of Fame bat went out and said, I'm going to become a power hitter. And he did that about as well as anyone could do. I think if this was like a a 27 year old swing change, this would not be going to pick 144. So uh, I love everything about it. The, the park factor is great. Votto is, is going to continue to follow this, the swing change that he has done. And I don't know if it's going to be 36 homers, but I, I think you can pretty much slate him for, a plus 260 average, 30 to 35 homers, and, and great counting stats with Cincinnati. So that that's my take on Votto. I didn't really overthink it, um, but what what did Mr. Silver have to, to say about well, Votto? Well, first I'll say that Joey Votto isn't JV. He's more like varsity, uh, despite getting him in the 12th round. It was 129 games for 36 home runs, which is so hard to do. 99 RBI in just a short amount of time, 500 33 plate appearances. I mean, Silver pretty much said what you what you said. You know, the changes of approach. Like, I'm going to hit home runs. Uh, he allowed himself allowed himself to strike out a little bit more. 24% strikeout rate had the increase of swing strike rate to 11.5%, the highest since his rookie year, really of just 24 games in 2007. But that came with this growth of power. 26.5% homer fly ball rate is the highest he's had in his entire career. Amazing stuff. Are we going to expect the same? massive uh, appeal no but you are getting the best first baseman on the board clearly in the 12th round you can make an argument about cj crone now that he signed with colorado i think it's a little bit safer for the playing time with joey vado i mean yes 129 games this year but traditionally giving you 140 and a heavy percentage of the team games um and he, despite his age at 38 i think we can all agree that joey vado looks as spry as ever uh in that in in cincinnati red so seal approval here in the 12th round. Okay. Big fan of this. He'll be circled as one of my um, first base options if I miss out early on. And I foolishly took Freddie Freeman in the second, and I just looked and saw, oh, no, there are so many guys. I took Hoskins in the 11th, and I'm upset at myself for it. So I should have taken Votto. That's what I should have done. But all right, we are going to move on to the 13th and 14th round. Um, actually, no, you paired this Votto pitch, sorry, with, with Luis Severino of the Yankees. And we don't really know what to do with Severino at this point. We've been waiting for him to show up like his 2017-2018 self for a while. 2019 was cut short. 2020 didn't exist. 2021, well, Tommy John recovery takes some time. What do you see from Luis Severino in 2022? Well, it was nice seeing him come back brief as it was in 2021 here. He had the six innings and... I think he had, uh, you know, well over a strikeout per inning. There was a nice outing with the against the Red Sox, four strikeouts and, and two hitless innings. So it's nice that he at least kind of got a little bit of the rust off and now he can go into the offseason. But yeah, the last last full season, we saw Severino, 220 strikeouts, a 339 ERA. It, it seems like forever ago, um, but he still is just 27 years old. So I, I know you and Fast were talking about kind of this bunch, right, with like Clevenger, Severino, uh, Verlander, like Severino's age and, and staying with the Yankees. I feel like there's, you know, he's taken enough time where as long as he can get ramped up, if he has like a good spring training, I could see this going from where I got him at, at 145 to his, you know, being picked in the top 110 or something like that. Um, with Severino, I mean, you know, the fastball when he threw it this year is at 95.4 when he's been at its his best, it's been at like 97. So he's a prime example, which we talk about on wins above fantasy of 
what to watch for in spring training and what the, what stuff is actually worth paying attention to. Definitely we'll be looking at his velocity. Um, and yeah, I mean, SP 52 off the board. I think, I think he's as good as any after like the top 40 that you wouldn't be shocked if he returned top 25 pitcher value. So um, I, I liked it here. And like I said, this one, you know, after Ranger Suarez kind of feels like it's, you know, taking a shot in two different directions. And I kind of like that pairing, but what are your thoughts, Nick, on on Severino? Oh, man, you do sound like a host. Absolutely. Uh, the first one, asking back, instead of waiting for me to interject, I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, Severino is going to be paired with Clevenger and Verlander. It's a little different than last year. Last year, it was an IL pick, right? It was uh, it was Sale, Severino, and Syndergaard, where we knew they weren't starting out of the gate. And this would be an IL one, so that's why we, saw, we were able to get those guys in the 20th or so. This year it's different because they're going to hopefully be starting right away. And that means that they're going up to the 12th and 13th round. But I'm for this. I mean, my draft strategy is clear. I get four guys that I feel very confident in that I'm just throwing darts. Severino is as good of a dart as you can throw. I was very tempted to take him instead of Ian Anderson. I think it's just a safer situation with Ian Anderson. And also I needed a fourth starter first. And Ian Anderson was that. I was sad to see him go off the board in the 13th. But Luis Severino, you're going to be looking at velocity a ton, as you mentioned. Um, The velocity in his peak seasons was around 97 and change. Uh, This year, you're going to see 93, sorry, 95.3. However, I should mention he threw five pitches in his final relief appearance and they averaged 97. So the ability is there. However, that was a relief, not in starting. So we don't really know if that's going to be what we see in, in March and April. I'm excited about it. I mean, a lot of people are just going to be turned away from Severino because oh, we've been waiting for three years. And first it was a shoulder thing. Then it was the elbow thing. And who knows what's going to happen next? You know, all that kind of stuff. I don't care. Throw him back to the wire then. If, once you have four guys... You're planning for that. You're anticipating this. You're going to give yourself the opportunity to be the guy that's on Rodon and on Ray and on Peralta and Rogers and all of these unbelievably good pitchers that are on the wire in April. Adam Wainwright and even Danny Duffy was amazing for the first like six weeks of the season. And you could have had that. Then you got injured and then it was easy to move on to the next one when Alec Manoa got called up. It's amazing how well you can just structure your team if you just take those chances, get messy, and make mistakes. That is the Miss Frizzle method that I endorse. If you sign up and get my four courses for $100, I'm going to stop talking. I uh, <laughs> No, I do not have courses, guys. Just sign up for PL Plus and ask us these questions directly. You can do it. Don't worry. Please do. Anyway, Severino, um, I, I want to give you a seal of approval, and I am going to give you one. I think it's 13th round. You set it up right. I mean, this is seal approval on the player, not necessarily how you've constructed your team, because I don't think Ranger Suarez is a guy that you can say to yourself, I am not dropping him next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had gotten, I don't know, Orkidi or something like that, you're not going to drop Orkidi next year. Uh, then, okay, then you'd feel a lot more you know, secure about taking Severino still. I mean, I think you did the right thing, recognizing, okay, I'm trying to actually find the fourth guy that I feel good about, and went after three guys in a row here. So there's Severino. And then this pairing that I kind of, I told Steve, I was like, look, Steve, this is what Van did. This is what you should have done. Instead of Mackenzie and Eliezer, you should have done Logan Gilbert and Josiah Gray. 
And you did it. So were you were circling these guys? Do you have some sort of affinity for them? Or were you just like, all right, these are the next ones available. Sure, whatever. I'll take them. Logan Gilbert has been my boy. He was my he was my stash. I really liked uh, I actually got him in a, a pitcher list dynasty mock a couple oh, nice. years back. Um, and I love it's still nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I still uh, I was watching him in the, in the covid season and loving. Uh, well, not physically watching him, obviously, but was reading up about how him and Kelnick were battling one-on-one at like the offsite facilities. Oh, and I was like, great, oh, yeah. I, I would love to see footage of that. So yeah, you set it up, Nick, with that, that last, uh, the Miss Frizzle uh, pitch where at this point I'm going for guys who, you know, they could, they could hit or I move on. And Gilbert, I think has enough to be excited about when we're getting into the flyer mode here. His first year on the surface, it was okay. Like 468 ERA was obviously a little disappointing, but a 409 X ERA, the fastball was was working great. I mean, he, he's a six foot six frame up there on the mound. So yes, it sits at 95 miles per hour, but I think it it kind of comes in with more than that, with the kind of his reach and extension. So it was from a P valve standpoint, which I know you talked about that might not be, you know, church, but ninth highest P valve. Um, sandwiched between Lance Lynn and Freddie Peralta with that fastball. And he had a window. I had him on a lot of teams this year. He had a window in July where I thought, yes, this is clicking for Gilbert. 26 innings, 34 strikeouts, a 3.76 ERA, and a 103 whip. And within those 26 innings, he faced the Astros, the Blue Jays, and the Rays. So the hope is he gets into that, you know, that rhythm that we try that's so elusive to to talk about, but that he gets into rhythm, gets us 150 or 160 innings and basically gets that fastball slider combo cooking. Um, so that's, that's what was going through my mind with Gilbert here and, and similar strategy on, on my next pick as well. But how'd you feel about uh, Gilbert? Uh, Gilbert. I mean, his fastball, as you mentioned, it's, it's an excellent pitch. Um, it, there, he also upticked its velocity finally. He had like a little bit of a drop for a bit, and then by the end, it came up a little bit more, which is really nice to see. Um, the biggest question is hey, that slider's got to show up, man. Um, when it did, he had those nine strikeout starts and looked great and was able to go six or so. When it's not there, he's trying to figure out how to get the other strikes because the fastball is that good. And if you look at someone like Brandon Woodruff, who really is a fastball first guy. Um, as you mentioned, he, you know, Woodruff introduced a little bit more curveballs, but it's just really trying to figure out on a given day, what is the other thing that I'm going to get strikes with when guys are timed on my heater and I can rely on. And Gilbert's going to have to figure out what that is. The good news is he has three things technically that could step forward, change up curveball and slider. Uh, all we need is one. We just need yeah. one. When we talk about two pitch pitcher, you know, it's generally the fact that you can go one, two, but it's the fact you always need a third. That's your backup plan. And Gilbert needs to establish the two. And if there's a solid two, then you should be completely fine. Uh, other positives here. Um, he would be set for about 180 innings or so. I think next year with the Seattle Mariners, they might go six man again. But I feel like there's not really going to be much of a limitation for Gilbert in 2022. Um, and the Mariners have a tendency to allow guys to pitch. You know, they don't have this overwhelming bullpen. They're not a team that I look to like the like the Rays, the Dodgers that are going to say, no, no, five innings for you. You're done. They constantly let Gilbert throw more. He even had multiple games of seven innings this season. And that's a true positive. And I think that's also 
a, a testament to his fastball of how good it can be and make him more efficient enough to do it. But he also threw multiple games of over 100 pitches. And that's a skill set you don't see too often from young guys. So when you combine in the potential volume with a really good fastball and a development that we expect in, in Logan Gilbert, it adds up to a guy like, oh, yeah, no, I want him as my five often in next year's drafts. Um, and one thing I do want to mention to everybody, um, I've said a lot, and I think it's one of the pitfalls of doing analysis. And it kind of goes back to Logan Webb a little. Um, it's on both sides of it, where we can spend this these five months talking about the season and saying, okay, this was his season, and sure, he did this, but his XERA was this or that. We are expecting a different person to show up next year. Just because a guy has a bad April does not mean he's going to have a bad May. Just because he had a great April doesn't mean he's going to have a great May, right? And just think of it in terms of the seasons as well. So a guy like Gilbert, especially the younger guys, you got to throw away all of the X stats and everything and really, for the most part, take the positives and say, okay, cool, he has this skill. Then then we are kind of expecting that skill to show itself more over the next season. So that's the kind of jumps that we need to make. And we're questioning how would that skill show itself more? And is it a believable path or not to that? So really have that mentality of when looking at stats and everything that like this is not what we expect it's not you know it's not just one plateau for everybody there's you know it can be very easy to get lost in the uh in the caves of x stats i don't know i don't know what else to call it that but you understand how, when we do this analysis where that's coming from is so important that we don't just get bogged down in that alone uh anything else on logan gilbert van no, I don't think so. Like you said, if he can get if he can get just one other pitch, you know, you could see kind of the path to like a Tyler Glass now, where it's like two pitch but elite, oh, and man. and he gets through it, and um, that's that's the sunny outlook. But yeah, it'll be another one you watch in spring training for sure. Oh man, Tyler Glass now. I mean, it's it's so interesting to go through a season now and not just not talk about him at all. Um, but I uh, yeah, he's a weird one. <laughs> he's uh he's just like can you please throw a secondary pitch for a strike that's all you need to do really all you need to do glass i was able to do it for a bit with a slider and it was really exciting and then of course he got hurt so that's that gilbert has much better fastball command than glasnow ever did um or has i guess but we're gonna move to your 15th round and that's josiah gray and oh i love josiah gray and i'm curious what you see yeah, uh, just exciting. I mean, for one, I, I trust the, the the Dodgers on kind of bringing him up, but then I also like the fit that now that he's he's with the Nats, obviously a big big piece of that that Turner and Scherzer move. So I think they're going to let him go and, and see if he can figure it out. Three solid pitches. I love that you know the whiffs on the curve and the slider are elite. It just comes down to him kind of getting the control in check, and if he's got you know, a whole off season to work on this. The hope is that he perpetuates some of the great flashes we saw this year. He had a, the outing striking out 10 Braves over five innings. He struck out seven uh, uh, in six innings versus the Red Sox. So uh, this is another one that I think he has that arsenal. It's if he can bring it all together. And if next season's the, the year where we'll see that, but I think he's going to get every shot. And again, at pick 169 here, it's like, why not take that take that flyer on JoJo? And if it works out, uh, fantastic. And if it's not the year, kind of like a, a Casey Mize type of thing, 
then, you know, you just move on. But he is another one that if things click into place, the next year he could be easily cracking like top 90 ADP. So um, upside, upside play, but love the balance of the arsenal. When it looked right, it looked phenomenal. Um, and that was enough for me at, at this draft price for sure. So I, uh, something we, I, we have to deal with a lot, which is a very touching thing. And this is not in any way a flex. I, uh, is I was very fortunate that I got to meet Josiah Gray uh, and do a t- talking pitching podcast. If you haven't listened to that, go check it out. We actually have our individual feed for all of the ones where we did pitcher interviews. Uh, talking pitching, pitcher list, go Google it, listen to it. It's awesome. Talked to him before the start of the year, and uh, he's a really smart, really, really down-to-earth guy. Um, and there have been times when we've done these that I've done those interviews where, you know, during it, I'm nodding along and everything, and then afterwards, I'm thinking... I don't I'm not aligned with what their the thought process is or like they're not someone that I feel is on the right journey, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Josiah Gray has been. And you kind of saw a lot this year with uh, curveball sliders, fastballs, every one of those p- pitches, each one of those can get double digit whiffs in a given night. Uh, four seamer pounds the zone effectively uh, curveball slider, whatever he's feeling that night, he leans on and it can be filthy. I know that period he had this year. It was so devastating for me personally because I remember him getting dealt to the Nationals and thinking my head, my eyes widened as I saw, oh my God, it's going to be the Mets. It's going to be, uh, he's going to go to the Pittsburgh. He's going to get the Phillies. He's going to get the Marlins. Like, this is the dream. Josiah Gray. And oh man, he doesn't have the Dodgers. No Dodgeritis. This is going to go six innings. He has double digit strikeout potential this is the greatest thing ever and what does he do he goes against the Phillies six earned runs he goes against the Mets six earned runs he goes into Pittsburgh five earned runs he goes against Rocky Road and it's five earned runs and I'm devastated and the thing is looking from here that's just a four game stretch that's literally I mean that itself I think has knocked people out of the conversation of Josiah Gray, which is kind of crazy to me. The guy went through his first period of adversity ever, and then he came out the other side of it. And I do want to remind people how good he was before it. This is including two four-inning starts to begin his career, including a four-earned run one. Um, I, I, I don't want to even – it's just six starts, and that actually wasn't even a start. That was a relief appearance. You know what? Fine. I'm going to ax that. And the six starts he made, three, 309 ERA. Uh, with a 26% K rate and a 119 whip, including a double-digit 10-strikeout game against Atlanta in Turner Field. Um, or I guess now it's Truist Field, the Truist Park. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Can't keep up with it. it. It's these kids he says. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, what I'm trying to get at is just like Gray's really good. And he came out the other side. He went into cores and against the Red Sox, and I think people kind of were over it at that point. So they ignored how well he did, not to mention it was tough opponents. So three and runs, one earned run. It was kind of, I don't know, not very good. He also did well against the Marlins too. Eight strikeouts, uh, turned runs to end the year. And it's there. The situation is all there for Josiah Gray now to go and just excel through the entire season. So I, I, I will say, compared to Logan Gilbert and why I'm slightly higher, is because the innings expectation, I think, is a little bit more. Um, Josiah Gray only had 85 innings. Um, across the season he's had some injury issues as well that have hampered him Logan Gilbert's in a better situation to get 180 innings but Josiah Gray I mean 
I don't know, he can go 150 for the Nationals next year. Like, they're just going to let him start, and he has legitimate strikeout potential, 25% plus. I, I kind of expect it from Josiah Gray next year. It's nuts. Go get Josiah Gray, y'all. He's he's going to be good. So, Nick, how do you feel about the the 169, like where he fell in this draft? Do you feel like this seems like the right range or well, a little a little soon? I mean, this is this is what I'm getting at, though, is that once you get the first four, Josiah Gray is exactly the kind of ceiling I want to chase. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's always surprising to me when I do these mocks. I, I, I joke about it all the time in like August, September uh, when I'm doing the roundup saying, hey, this guy, oh, I'm going to be targeting him. He's going to be like an 18th, 19th round sleeper. Can't wait. That's what I was saying about Josiah Gray. And then 15th round now, and they always get pushed up higher than I expect. Or someone else, I'm thinking, oh, man, he's going to be definitely a, a hot commodity next year. Here's Wade Miley in the 17th, and I actually don't even have him in the top 100. And it's just, you know, you never really know with it. Um, yeah. It makes sense to me because this is the kind of guy you want to target now because if it doesn't work, which I don't think – I'm willing to – lean in to Josiah Gray and Logan Gilbert, but you know, maybe it's very tough early on. You got to move on. Not the worst thing ever. You have your four other guys. So chase the ceiling of Josiah Gray and Logan Gilbert. It's the way to go. And I think it's a clearer path than a lot of other guys. I think are going to be talked about Albert Alzley, Elias or Hernandez, Tristan McKenzie. I'm so sorry, Steve, but Tanner Houck is in their conversation. Water Rodriguez is too. Um, There is some other from Patino. I, I know that I'm forgetting others here, but I believe more so in Logan Gilbert and Gray than a lot of the other ones. And I think you guys should be changing your draft strategy to adjust for that. Like it. All right. So you finally get a closer. It's the 16th round. And is it even a closer? It's Craig Kimbrell. Oh, they were not too thrilled with this one, Van. I uh, gained Kimbrell on the 16th round. Yeah, this is purely a play that he will become the the closer somewhere that's not the White Sox, uh, where he pitched in the eighth inning this year with a 467 ERA. In the ninth inning, he had a .99 ERA. This, uh, yes, with this approach, it was probably early, but I didn't have a reliever, and for both of my reliever picks, they're kind of under the the premise of I hope these guys land a closer role and deliver here. And if not, I do what I do in every league, which is chase saves on the wire. And I've never really had an issue with that, especially in this day and age. Um, But I I guess there's the debate of if that's the case, why invest a 14th round pick in it? Uh, But yeah, I mean, when he was the closer, he had a 365 OPS against him. And then it just really wasn't working out when he was with the White Sox. So, um, yeah, let, let me hear what the the Sharps had to say about this, other than the fact that they did not like it. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't been great for a while. Like, it was just a 15-inning sample in 2020. I the I mean, he has a 2.26 ERA this past year, 0.91, but he wasn't that great for the, for the White Sox out of the role. If he does get the role somewhere, I mean, Craig Campbell should be a 40% strikeout rate or something ridiculous like that, and that's cool. So I have nothing really against it because also I think reliever value at this point in the draft, I mean, we'll talk about mock drafts not having any value this early. Well, it's because of relievers a lot of the time. And relievers are just, they're just going to change up and down based on who we think is going to get opportunity and so on. And Craig Kimbrell, I imagine once he signs, wherever he signs, is going to either be the downfall or all of a sudden now he's a top 12 round pick. So... Just a big shrug. Um, I, I will contest that uh, I think it is the better play in general 
to get a more secure closer somewhere in the first 12 rounds and then play the waiver wire for the second one. Um, that's just generally how I go. And, and there's always one round where I feel like it's not quite right to go get Logan Gilbert now in the 10th. So I'll get a closer instead. Um, that's for the most part how I've acted. But I mean, everyone has their own plan for closers. And, you know, if you're essentially saying this is a, the spot that I'm going to get my closer in March, by all means. So maybe a Will Smith over a Ranger Suarez at the yes! top of the oh! 11. Yeah. Okay. And then you could have gotten. Daniel Sidlamet, or you could have gotten uh, Casey Mize or Joe Ryan or Carlos Carrasco. That could have worked out pretty well. We'll see. Um, now, Mike Zunino in the 17th round. I was playing chicken with you and Steve uh, for a catcher. And Zunino and Garver were the two I circled. And, of course, everyone knows by now that I messed up completely when it came to catcher, uh, where I just completely forgot that... Garver was still available. There was also, I should mention, uh, Ben Pernick got Dalton Varsho in the 18th round. Mm-hmm. So Zanino had a shockingly good season. Uh, 33 home runs might be a surprise to many listening, but it was a 216 average. And uh, are you expecting a, a repeat of this? I mean, if it doesn't go well, if it doesn't have a 30% home run five ball rate, Zanino is going to be dropped very quickly. He will be. There's a short leash here. This this round between, you know, Kimbrel Zanino is kind of assessing needs on the roster construction. I would have loved um, to kind of pair this with an Adley Rushman um, late for like the bench. But I think um, for Zanino, it's just, yeah, I was shocked that he had the 33 homers and just 375 plate appearances. Unreal. That was good enough for number one in the league in barrels per batted ball event, per plate appearance, however you want to slice and dice the data. He led the league in barrels if you kind of put it down to his plate appearance threshold. And yeah, the the, the 216 average hurts, but this is kind of the, uh, you know, Joey Gallo of catchers. And there was, you know, the, the discussion going on in our discord about, you know, we need to address catcher. Everybody needs to grab a catcher. And I was kind of like, oh, once you miss out on on some of the top ones, I love Grandal this year. I think he will be a, a, a great piece the way he kind of balanced his plate discipline with his power output at the end of the season. But uh, this was just kind of a consolation prize with some pop. Um, but you're right. It's short leash. If, if he's not performing, it would be off to get the next uh, Eric Haas or, you know, whoever kind of, emerges next year with yahoo's weird eligibility since this sure. is a yahoo league but but yeah this was uh really just addressing the need and i mean you can't argue that it, it was a power breakout for sure now what you could have done is gotten grandal in the 11th instead of ranger suarez oh. then got... <laughs> i'm just messing around okay let's go to the 18th round because i mean catchers to me i i do lean more on the alexander chase approach as we, we talked about in the last podcast um, where he's like, you should be getting an elite catcher and spending on that one because of the gap of ability. And I do find myself with that. It's just I wasn't ready to make that assessment. And now that I kind of know it, I will not be getting Eric Haas in the 22nd round moving forward. And I would not put myself in position to get Mike Zunino in the 17th. 18th round, Alex Kirilov. I, I, I haven't really done much digging yet on Kirilov. Is he going to be Kirilov? For 2022 <laughs> uh you know that's the hope and it, again we're looking at upside here this late in the 18th round but Kirilov was really starting to get into a groove last year and then he just was bothered all year by a wrist injury ended up 
ending his season, but in May and June, across those months, he batted 283 and 278. Uh, and, you know, if all goes right, I mean, people have this guy projected. He, he's been kind of an industry darling for a couple of years, and I think he's been forgotten about. So I think there's some value to be had here if, if he falls real far to where he could be a, a 275 hitter with 25 and, you know, chip in on steals a little bit. And I think in the Twins, he'll probably be right in the heart of that order. So I like Kirilov. I think, um, you know, just looking at the util here, again, it's less about stability and more about guys who you'll know pretty quickly if if they're locked in or if you need to move on and, and play the wire. And I think Kirilov's kind of a good balance right there with like a Dylan Carlson. You know, those are the guys I'd like to chase in this range. And um, Kirilov was just kind of rounding out with average and, and pop. So. Uh, that's that's where I was at with this one. Yeah. Um, again, really haven't done too much digging on on Kirilov so far. Dylan Carlson was right after uh, in three picks later. Um, and there's something to be said about Carlson being a little bit more secure of what we know at this point. But I do remember, um, I think it was two, three years ago inside the discord asking our prospect guys like, hey, is there one player that's outside the ones that we all talk about that could show up this year and be like a Mike Trout kind of thing? And the answer was Kirilov. So that is still present in some way. And with expected playing time coming in 2022, maybe that does show up in a big way. So definitely consider him for an upside play. Uh, we have five picks to go, Van Burnett. And you went with another starter. This time it's Aaron Savali. Uh, what drew you to Aaron Savali? So I think, you know, I, I know the underlying stuff didn't look great with Savali and he never fully kind of got in the groove but last year he was definitely an industry favorite kind of going in like the 170s 180s and I rostered him in in several leagues this year and he was really good on the surface uh up until the injury that I think he had like a strained finger that put him out and he was really bad when he came back from that but at, at pick 217 this is still a guy who finished the season with a 384 ERA a 112 whip uh you know, some stuff, it's kind of like what you were talking about with Josiah Gray, like the stuff I was really hoping for with Savali, he didn't really do. Uh, I was hoping he was going to increase the cutter and the curveball. He used both of them less. Uh, a lot of his X stats looked like it could have been much uglier than that 384 ERA and 112 whip. Um, but overall, you know, there were some starts where it did look really good. The 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 Guardians let him pitch. Uh, deeper into games he went eight innings with 11 strikeouts yes it was versus the Mariners but you know just looking at some of the earlier picks I had with Severino Gilbert Josiah Gray I know it kind of goes away from the strategy of you know the upside dart throws late but I think Savale fell far enough to where I said okay you know that's a great pitching staff that they have in Cleveland and Savale is still young enough to where he could put it together and be a solid pick in this range um, albeit not the sexiest pick in the draft. But um, what are your thoughts on, on Savali? Well, I don't know if he presents enough upside for me to chase it, um, but I can honestly, I can see him having a good April and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, sweet, I'm really happy I got Savali. I, it's, it's a kitchen sink approach for, for Savali. Um, he has a, a four-seamer, a sinker, a cutter, a curveball, a, a splitter, and a slider. And... Really, the heart of it, the cutter and the curveball are the two that are like the most. Um, curveball wasn't always used, and it had a massive CSW. We're talking a 36% CSW, 184 batting average allowed, 65% strike rate. I mean, this, to me, is Savali's best pitch, but just 16% usage. 
and it's not really the the pitch that that Savali on a start by start basis turned into. No, this is the real number two pitch that I want. Cutter twenty four percent usage was solid. I think I think you know nineteen percent called strike rate is really good for a cutter, and there were times in twenty twenty when it was cutter curveball with a surprise two seamer or four seamer elevated, and I think that's the best mentality or the best approach for Savali. Um, and I hope that's what we get moving forward. The Cleveland Guardians are going to throw him. They're going to let him go through the game. Six innings constantly, no problem. Go ahead. You can do it through 124 this year despite the injury and would have done longer. Um, I don't think it's going to be a 20% K rate if, if Savali changes. If, if Savali makes those tweaks, it can be closer to 24-25. Um, I just do worry that it could be more of the same of still figuring out what the mix is and making it a frustrating player to roster 19th round though Kyle Hendricks Taiwan Walker Patino Lauer Quantrill Plesak Rasmussen yeah I I have no problem whatsoever chasing that Savali Um, and I will say it actually will be easy in April to get a sense of where Savali is is he relying on those curveballs more is he throwing you know is he going cutter curveball predominantly with a mix of fastballs in between that would be cool. Some change-ups I'm fine with. You know, I think that, that that opportunity is there, and you'll have a good indication of it. And that makes me more um, willing to spend a draft pick on it because then I know that I don't have to... I'm not investing three months of the season on this. Um, so I'm cool with Savali here. Um, it's not necessarily the one that I'm focused on, um, but I, I can certainly see uh, myself having Savali a couple times uh, in, in drafts next year. Um, Nestor Cortez Jr. Man, next pick here. I want I want you to walk through with me what you envision twenty twenty two holding for Nestor Cortez. Well, if he can get a spot in the rotation, which is a major if, uh, mm-hmm. but he's done what he needed to do to to kind of make the Yankees sweat about that. But with with Cortez, basically he's got three and a half pitches that he goes to. He, he showed solid control. Every one of his pitches gets like a, a decent amount of whiffs. Um, and he had some really promising starts. He, he, you know, he struck out 11 in one game and just consistency since, you know, he's, he became a starter since the beginning of July. He only gave up more than three runs a single time. So, uh, you know, a 290 ERA uh, across 93 innings. If the Yankees don't have in the rotation, he's a quick cut. But uh, to me, from what we saw this year, I thought, you know, the arsenal's deep enough. The results were strong enough in a, in a tough division. And, yeah, I, th- I think it's just the gamble this late in the draft. But, you know, that's, again, looking at this season. I think uh, from a capabilities standpoint, what do you think of uh, his pitch mix? Well, it's the same thing kind of with Suarez in that his fastball, I think, overperformed this year. 712 thrown, only a 59 WRC plus on that four-seamer. I don't think it's actually that good. Um, he had this really nice stretch for a bit, and then it slowed down um, by the end uh, before picking up uh, one more time. I mean, it's no, I'm sorry, it did slow down by the end. He had the 11 strikeout game against the Orioles, and then Texas and uh, Red Sox and Rays. He didn't go more than uh, four and two thirds. Um, it might have been by design with the Yankees, given the playoff stuff, but. Um, I don't really see a guy that's going to be a consistent six innings. I've got this handled for your fantasy teams next year for Cortez. And as you mentioned, it's a major if what the Yankees are going to do with that rotation. 
Um, out of the gate, Tyone is hurt now. So you have Cole, you have Severino, and you have Jordan Montgomery. You have three that are locked in at the moment for the Yankees. I have to think. They'll get one or two. Get yeah. At least one. So then it's four. Tyone comes back, makes it five. Who knows? There's a health thing, so it's eased in. There's Domingo Herman in the mix as well. Don't forget about him. Uh, there's Davey Garcia that could have an amazing spring. Um, I'm just throwing out there that it's not a lock that even Cortez starts, let alone can showcase the same magic. Because when it happened, none of us anticipated this. No one thought that Cortez was going to go out there and go six innings strong against the White Sox for seven Ks and seven innings against the Twins with seven Ks. And it was this lovely stretch. And I don't really think that Nestor Cortez has the elite stuff that would speak to it. And that's generally not the the chases I like to make in drafts. I'm very anti-command. I'm more stuff-focused for fantasy leagues. Because, again, it's a 12-teamer. Uh, and and you can focus more on command, I think, when you get deeper into your leagues. But for us, we're like, hey, we got to chase that ceiling as much as we can. And Cortez, despite having this near 10K per nine, I think his stuff doesn't quite speak to that 27.5% strikeout rate. So that that's where I side with it. Again, 20th round, you could do, like, I have no judgments whatsoever. Also, easy decision. If he's starting the rotation, great. If he's not, you swap him out. So... We'll see. Uh, hopefully that one works out for you. Uh, three picks to go, Van. Three to go. Almost Blake there. Trinan's next. He's not a closer. That's not a closer, is he? Well, if Kinley doesn't re-sign, mm. then Trinan instantly becomes like a top eight reliever. You know, he, it, no one hits him hard. Uh, extremely deep arsenal for a reliever. Slider gets 45% whiffs. We've seen what Trinan can be, and he's kind of had this Dodger renaissance, and I'm kind of torn up that Kenley's having as good of a postseason as he is because now I feel like the Dodgers really are more likely to extend for him. Interesting. But, I would um, say the reverse because then Kenley's going to demand more. Well, there you go. I mean, that plays into the, the strategy. But I think like at 241, if Kenley doesn't, which it's an if, but it's possible, they have one of the best setup mans who very easily slides in and, in my opinion, becomes like a top six reliever in the game. I mean, that's really fun. Uh, I it, it, This is such a mock draft pick, um, too, which is which is uh, what I'm saying is relative to the drafts in March. It's we just don't know what that is going to be. If Trinan isn't there, he's not drafted. If he has a position, he's up in like the 10th round. So it's a great pick if you were actually were drafting your team right now, because who cares? You just get rid of it. Um, as far as representation of March, it's. That's I don't know. You wouldn't be like, let's say that Blake Trinan is the setup man. Are you going to be drafting uh, Trinan here? No, I won't. Uh, I'd right. be I'd be getting a closer, but probably like would have gone around or so earlier so, for Gregory Soto. Probably. So I, I think it's an excellent pick for your scenario. <laughs> but <laughs> is it's it, also is it cheating. It's yeah. It's, it's a, not it's not cheating. It's just I feel bad for everybody listening because it's like, well, right, okay. I'm glad we know. Right, keep this in mind. But I, uh, but that's not going to be what it is come February and March. Maybe it is in February. Maybe Kenley hasn't signed yet. And we're still like, what do we do? Um, yeah. Or for we'll, keeper we'll leagues, see. if for keeper leagues, as soon as Kenley there doesn't you resign, you sprint out and grab that. Trinan. We know we get both trying. So here's Van Burnett making sure you know about that one. Uh, we're going to move on 22nd and 23rd. Uh, Bailey Ober um, kicked off this uh, final two picks that you made as it swung around. So we had two in a row here to end it. And I call him Bailey Ober Rizzi. 
because he throws four-seamers elevated just like Jake Odorizzi. He also added a little bit of a slider at times, too, which was kind of interesting. What do you see for Bailey Ober? Yeah, slider's in- inconsistent. Uh, he really leans on on the fastball, which is at, at 92 miles per hour. But he's six foot nine and uh, kind of a command artist, which is a weird combination. I'd imagine the the stuff isn't played up as much as um, some other guys you could get in this range. Maybe like uh, I guess Kyle Muller went before this, but just over a strikeout per inning. Good XBA against his fastball at just two thirty two, and I feel like the the Twins he's going to get that shot, unlike Cortez, like we talked about. Um, and he kind of showed flashes this year, so. Again, at the end of the draft, looking at a young pitcher who, you know, he's you could see the path forward with the fastball slider combo, but uh, he's got kind of the off season to to work on that. That that's kind of where I'm at with him. Uh, I like the whiff rate for a fastball, so some different things here with with Ober. But overall, this is again kind of a second to last pick uh, where enough to to get interested in April, and if it's not working, kind of move on. Much sure. like my uh, my Brady Singer of this past year. Oh, your Brady Singer. Um, so I uh, so Oberizzi, um, very interesting pick. I, I I think he's a fun one to take in the twenty second round. He could come out of the gate doing well. I have him as one hundred one uh, on the list, so he didn't quite make it. But Ober was someone I was even considering for the last one. I mean, I took Mike Soroka because I think he was just kind of forgotten about, and he will not be a twenty third round pick in March. Kind of cheating again. Um, but I, uh, with Ober, I mean, it was a 25% strikeout rate. He showed those flashes and that fastball, if he can continue to develop, will allow him to go six innings constantly. Like he did multiple times for the twins this year. So don't rule him out. The twins need him, him and Joe Ryan. Absolutely. Uh, in 2022 and expect more than the four inning starts that we saw this year for Bailey Ober. He has opportunities just about. Is that slider going to develop, and is he going to get that full consistency with the elevated heater? I like it. Solid pick here. Um, last one is Ramiel Tapia for the Rockies. I what do you see here? I mean, the the Rockies offense is a is an odd odd crew. It is. It's a weird one. This is a, you know a trademark last pick of the draft, but. Uh, in in the shortened season last year, he eclipsed uh, the three twenty one batting average. So we knew that was coming down a little bit. But leading off for the Rockies in cores, he batted two seventy three this year, twenty steals. Um, he had a lot of injuries this year, and he finished out the season uh, ranked two hundred on five by five. He he does have elite contact skills. So you look at it and you say he's still leading off, presumably. He's got the speed to do, you know, 25, maybe you could squint and see 30 steals and he's a, he's a contact hitter. So in cores, hopefully getting a lot of runs scored, doesn't strike out much at all. Um, and overall in the last round, yeah, just cheap speed that doesn't hurt you on average should get a lot of runs because of the lineup context and uh, just enough to kind of say, maybe he has a breakout year. He's, he's still relatively young. He's still, um, you know, he's got a great eye at the plate. So I think there's enough to to at least explore with a, a last round course pick here. I mean, leadoff guy for the Rockies is going to get a lot of runs and he's going to get some stolen bases. I mean, he had 20 last year. It's hard to find that this deep in the round as, of course, for uh, Grossman goes later on. But it, that's a solid pick. You should be understanding of Tapia being a decent backup if you need one bench bat or two. 
uh, that you want to get some extra cheap steals, maybe one a week next next year. Hey, Tapia is your guy for that. But all right, that is your draft van. All 23 rounds here uh, on a scale of one to 23. How do you feel about it? I need some. Uh, the legend is one really bad. Oh, yes. Yes. You have 23 picks. So one out of 23. Okay, yeah, I, I'm probably at like an 18 here. I mean, I liked um, some of the the old man value. I think knowing your league, I, I kind of assumed that with this many sharp drafters in a room, there'd be a lot of upside and and flashy picks. And I think it's totally okay to let let some value fall sometimes, like a Arenado Castellanos. Um, when I look at the team construction, I, I feel like the infield is solid. The staff. You know, it's got Woodruff, Lynn, and Webb that I feel great about. And then a ton of dart throws with Suarez, Severino, Gilbert, Gray, um, Savali, who knows. And, yeah, the the, the outfield with, with Mullins, Castellanos, Yelich, got Joey Votto, who we talked about. So I, I feel good here. I think, you know, looking, looking at it in hindsight, between now and, and true draft season, probably figuring out a little bit more of the shape of, like, what starters do I really want to target and have sure. to, and where am I taking them? Um, but overall, yeah, this was a lot of fun. And and especially being in October, start to see how some of the ADPs might start shaping up for these guys. It was a blast. I'd say 18 out of 23, Nick. Uh, okay. That sounds, that sounds about right to me. Um, I would maybe say 16 or 17, just because I'm not the biggest fan of, um, of say like going after Crawford or Yelich necessarily. And, the Ranger Suarez one, I got to ding you two points for that one. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a solid, solid team. I mean, with the Castellanos pick and, and Guerrero and Arenado, you are setting yourself up well for a ton of production. Same with Joey Votto. Um, it's a little, like you have two at the top, Woodruff and Lynn, um, who are obviously steady. Uh, but Webb, Suarez, Severino, Gilbert Gray, as much as I love a lot of those, there is more inherent risk than I would want. Well, I'll give you the 17, uh, not the 16. 17. Right. I, I, I like Severino Gilbert Gray. And, hey, Webb Web in the ninth is great. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with this team. But, anyway, that's it, Van. You did it. Congratulations. Uh, and remind everybody your resume and uh, where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me at Van underscore verified on Twitter. I've been with PitcherList for a few years, where it was doing Going Deep articles. Now I am the co-host with Steve Giswelli for Wins Above Fantasy. You guys can find us on Twitter at WinsAbovePod. We'll be every other Monday on the main PitcherList podcast feed. And then weekly when the season comes around for analysis, kind of across the board on, on fantasy strategy. And definitely we'll be busy in draft season. Uh, so just can't wait. And thanks, Nick, for the opportunity. And thanks, everybody, for for tuning in and supporting Pitcher List here. Oh, absolutely, Van. It was really nice having you here. Definitely give a listen to Wins Above Fantasy on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Well, that's going to do it for today. So on behalf of Van Burnett, my name is Nick Pollock. I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>